A very warm welcome to everyone this evening. This is our fifth session in our series, Mindfulness Frame by Frame by Mark Williams. So whether it's good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you're ringing in from, it's really lovely to have each of you here. And if you'd like to, you're really welcome to say hello and type into chat where you're calling in from. And if you do, we would really encourage you to please direct the message to the all panelists and attendees so we can all read them. Otherwise only the panelists can see it and that's just the OMC people. Oh, it's lovely to see how many people we have joining from all parts of the world. They're pouring in. So this evening, the title of the session is Feeling Tone at the Fringes of Consciousness. Feeling Tone at the Fringes of Consciousness. So once again, a really warm welcome to each of you. And it's a pleasure now to hand over to Mark. Thank you. Thank you, Marin. Last week, we explored mindfulness of feeling tone in movement. In a moment, we'll do a short opening meditation exploring this again. But there were many questions about this and other things. For example, can a stretch feel both pleasant and unpleasant? And what about exercising when sore muscles are pleasant for some and unpleasant for others? What about pleasant feelings you're not supposed to enjoy, like too many cream cakes? Or are we looking out for body sensations when we register feeling tone? And when we feel the urge to replace unpleasant feeling tone with a pleasant one, what then? And when we have good questions like these, it's worth bringing them into our practice so we can explore them for ourselves. So let's come to sit and practice for a few minutes now and start by settling. So find a, a position on the chair. You can stand if you wish to, but if you want to sit, that's fine. And settle in knowing where your anchors are, the feet, the contact with seat, perhaps your hands on the lap or your breath. fully aware of the body sitting here, breathing. And then we're going to do some of those shoulder movements we practiced last week. And the first one is just raising the shoulders up as if they wanted to cover the ears without overstretching just seeing where they wind up and noticing the sensations here and seeing if there's a mixture of pleasant and unpleasant, that theme that came up. Is there, is there a mixture of pleasant, unpleasant here? If there's any soreness, what happens to it? Does it change at all? And if the sensations change, does the feeling tone change with it? 
and then moving the shoulders forward as if they wanted to touch in front of you and feeling the stretch across the shoulder blades at the back and any sensations in the shoulders as you do this. And once again, is there a mixture? Do you notice the sensations changing and, and the feeling tone? What feeling tone is here, pleasant or unpleasant or a mixture? Notice your own experience here. And then if you let the, the shoulders drop down, really relax. How does this feel? And if there are pleasant sensations here, is it possible to rest your attention on these sensations without seeking to deepen the pleasantness or dampen it anyway, just to rest the attention lightly on the sensations that might have a pleasant feeling tone. And if, if any thoughts come up or emotions come up, like this is boring or nothing's happening, just noticing unpleasant if that's how the feeling tone is. Maybe this feels good, this feels pleasant. And noticing, does the unpleasant or pleasant feeling tone have any body sensations with them or do you just know instinctively that it's one or the other? No right or wrong, just your experience, your practice. And if you're unsure whether the feeling tone is positive, negative, neutral, notice what happens if you just register unsure and let it go for now. And moving the shoulder blades back as if the shoulder blades wanted to, to touch behind you and notice what sensations arise now. Not overstretching at all, just looking after your body. And remembering the sensation is too intense, feeling free to adjust this stretch. Tracking the feeling tone as you do. Or if there's some intensity and it's not too intense, you might choose to remain still just cradling the intensity and awareness, exploring it. Once again, tracking the feeling tone as you do, saying it's okay not to like it if it's intense and unpleasant in some way, or it's okay to like it if it's pleasant. And then letting the shoulders come back to rest Noticing your whole body sitting here once again, breathing, grounded. 
So, what did you notice there? Opening your eyes, perhaps um, I'll ask Sean to open the chat. So you can put in the chat now, if you like, what you, what you noticed in that short practice. Feel free to put something in the chat if you would like to. What did you notice in that practice? Panicky feelings? Pleasant, a mixed feeling tones, a mixture, a flutter, a body hum, mixed again, tension in the muscles, some self-criticism, resistance, curiosity. The chest felt open and pleasant. Tired aches, oh yeah. That often comes up, doesn't it? Pleasant sensations, some unpleasant sensations, some a mixture, a lot of stiffness. Good aches, somebody said. Isn't that interesting? Good aches. Wishing to avoid in one case. Discomfort, then release. And then awareness that one shoulder was different from the other in some way. The feeling tone unpleasant and shifted a bit. It's okay to dislike this rather eye-opening expression that we're using, exploring. Didn't really feel anything, made you anxious, you weren't doing it right. How often that happens. So sometimes it's really good just to say no right and wrong, just this is our experience. And um, there's no need to, to, to notice a particular thing or, or focus or have a particular goal. So thank you, we're just gonna just close the chat in a few seconds. It is strange to say it's okay to like this. Yeah, it's not the sort of thing we normally say, is it, to ourselves? And um, so it is a bit strange. So you, you may have noticed, if you think about the questions that we were posing to ourselves at the beginning of that, that a stretch can contain both pleasant and unpleasant elements, and that a pain might feel good on some occasions and the same thing, unpleasant at other times. And this is because feeling tone is always newly created, freshly minted, always a coming together of different combinations of old and new contexts with the body mind as it is right now, which of course can change. And you may have seen that a feeling tone can be noticed without a body sensation being obvious at all. And what about pleasant feelings that you're hoping to move away from, things you feel you're addicted to? Well, the most important quality we're cultivating here is friendly equanimity, allowing time for the wisdom of the body to be felt and known, and then making wise choices. So somebody commented on, a bit strange to say it's okay to like this or not to like this, but how did it go saying it's okay to like this if it's pleasant? Somebody asked last week as well, whether it's okay to dwell on a pleasant experience and really enjoy it. Yes. It's okay, enjoy. Especially if you're one of those people who are more used to dampening it because that's the way you were brought up or that's the way you're inclined. But notice that savoring doesn't mean trying to deepen and prolong it. It's simply allowing the attention to rest in those moments of appreciation just as they are as best we can so that we notice these untapped sources of nourishment. And what about that other phrase? It's okay not to like this if it's unpleasant. Someone said they noticed that sometimes 
when an argument or a frustration or disappointment would normally have created brooding or lost sleep, when this was starting to happen, then if they noticed it and said, ah, oh, this is unpleasant, it's okay not to like it, it dissolved in a totally unexpected way. Where does it go? This is an important observation. So I want to look at it in more detail for a moment. Remember how we've said that our conscious experience of the world is created by the brain using past, past memories and so on, to build mental models of what's going on now and what's going to happen next. How best can we understand this? Have you ever noticed that some modern phones take multiple pictures? They call it a photo burst. It happens when you hold the button for too long on some phones. If you've not done it deliberately, only later do you realize you've captured 15 near identical pictures of your dog or your, your cat or your garden, or even by mistake, your foot. It's not a great look. The mental models are like a photo burst but with a difference. The first image might be based on data from the world, but the others later in the sequence are internally generated based on matching up that first, perhaps rather sketchy image with sequences of similar, more complete images from your past. As the photo burst unfolds, the images may be updated by comparing the internal pictures with data from the senses now, but they may not be. For as each moment is unfolding into consciousness, if the actual data being taken in now isn't a strong enough signal to contradict the photo burst, then our conscious experience just is the internally generated pictures, not what we're actually perceiving. Think about this for a moment. When we walk, unless we're doing mindful walking, we're not feeling our feet on the ground, as we suppose. We're running off a loop in the brain made up of our predictions of what it normally feels like to walk. And we live in our heads like this because it saves effort, not needing to collect new data every moment. You know this, of course, if your brain makes a mistake, like when you've seen the edge of the pavement the brain takes in the information, the photo burst has predicted it, and you have stepped down. But if it turns out to be only a white line and not a real edge, you stumble, you stumble over nothing, because your body had predicted a step down that never came. Now we know this from experience, but think of the implications that if it had been an edge, you would have stepped down from it and your experience of stepping down would have come from your predictive model, your photo burst, and not your actual sensations. Now, mostly our worlds are predictable, so the brain only has to sum up these prior probabilities from the past, generate its own photo burst from the initial data, and then occasionally correct them when necessary. The mental model feels true and familiar it fits you like a glove because it's constructed from your past. Each refresh of the internal picture includes, guess what, feeling tone. 
and this affects what bits of the past are sampled and prioritized to generate the photoburst sequence. This has implications for our physical and mental distress. Let's take physical aches and pains first, those that continue after an injury has healed or the illness is past. The intense pain of a single moment can cascade forward into the next moment. It's as if the first image in the photo burst captures the most intense sensations and their feeling tone and carries that intensity forward like an echo with successive images adding in all the reactions of aversion and the need to escape as well. The actual moment of the most intense pain may be over, but the next mental model doesn't know it's changed because your current sensations are not strong or precise enough to override the echo of the last moment, which is already busy getting ready possible actions to get rid of the unpleasantness. Because the echo's strength is created by the feeling tone acting in the background, becoming aware of this feeling tone brings it into the light of awareness and so can change the whole experience. This is what mindfulness training can do. At that very moment of greater awareness, the brain can take in more actual data. You're opening to what's happening right now, rather than just working off the mental models. It's the same with emotional pain. Say you are angry or sad and you're becoming enmeshed in a grumbling mood. Once again, you can imagine it as one picture, one sketch in the photo burst, simply passing the mood to the next by an automatic process. This is critically dependent on this unseen, unacknowledged feeling tone and the fact that you don't like unpleasantness. No one does. Again, bringing it into the light of awareness, saying it's okay not to like it, means that the mental models self-correct. The mood stops being passed on to the next moment. The photoburst sequence collapses. It can happen in an instant. And when it does, it's like the world has slightly shifted and you're left wondering where the mood went. You feel a moment of freedom and this can be a little unsettling at first, but soon you may feel a smile on your face because it's gone. And if it comes back, as it well might, you know now a little better what it is and what you can do. So let's take a breathing space. And in this breathing space, we first of all just open up, the first step, opening up to what thoughts, what emotions they might be around, what body sensations there might be here. And see if it's possible to acknowledge all of this and the feeling tone, if there's any liking or disliking.
And if there's any unpleasantness around, saying it's okay not to like this. And if anything feels pleasant, it's okay to like this. Then at a certain point, gathering your attention and placing it on one place where you feel anchored. Feet, contact with seat, your hands, sounds, or the breath. And then moving to step three and expanding the attention to take in the whole body sitting here. Seeing if it's possible to sense this whole body just as it is, accepting it just as it is. coming home to the body. And then when you're ready, beginning to move fingers and toes and letting the eyes open if they've been closed, taking in the room again. So this week's theme, as Meron said, is feeling tone at the fringes of consciousness. Listen to this. Lyra and her demon moved through the darkening hall, taking care to keep to one side out of sight of the kitchen. The three great tables that ran the length of the hall were laid already, the silver and glass catching what little light there was and the long benches were pulled out ready for the guests. Lyra reached the dais and looked back at the open kitchen door and seeing no one stepped up beside the high table. She flicked the biggest glass gently with a fingernail. The sound rang clearly through the hall. You're not taking this seriously, whispered her demon. Behave yourself. This, of course, is the magical start of Philip Pullman's Northern Lights. As you may know, Philip Pullman is fascinated by modern physics and dark matter and so on. And in an essay he wrote, grateful to Chris Cullen for pointing me towards this, he asks, what is the fundamental particle of a story, the smallest element a story can be broken down into? Is it a word? Kitchen, silver, glass. Or is it a descriptive phrase like darkening hall or three great tables? Pullman says, no, none of these. For him, the fundamental particle of a story is an action. It's what she does, moved through, taking care, 
reached the dais, looked back, stepped up, flicked the biggest glass. What's interesting is that research is suggesting that in a similar way, actions may be the elementary particles of the mind too. For most of the time, in order to even understand the world, your mind simulates or imagines actions. It's part of the photoburst, if you like. And as actions are simulated, the brain and body are orchestrating the necessary resources in the body that would be needed to carry them out. Lisa Feldman Barrett calls this your body budgeting for what it needs, drawing down resources from your body's account, if you will. And you can feel some of this body budgeting happening through interoception, feel inside the effects of hormones being released, blood flow changing, muscles tensing. The world is to us perceived as a series of possible actions. As one psychologist put it, seeing is a verb. Well, yes, that's obvious, seeing is a verb, but more than we ever thought, when we see an object, this is done not only through the eyes, but almost in our muscles. What we are actually seeing is the opportunity to act. For example, psychologists have found that if you ask someone to judge how steep a hill is, then they will see it as steeper if they asked first to wear a heavy backpack. The anticipation of the walk being hard on your muscles affects how steep it seems to be your perception has been affected by what resources you imagined you'd need for climbing it. Think of what this means for brooding or worry. Brooding rumination consists of churning over past actions you took or might have taken or think you should have taken. Worry is future action you imagine you'll need to take to stop your fears coming true. So in the middle of the night, if you find you are tossing and turning with worry, look at what's happening in your mind. It's likely your experience is a series of mental models or photo bursts, which are rehashing actions from the past or planning actions in the future. Your body is working to release resources, readying you for these imagined actions, actions that you are unlikely to actually carry out, at least not then. No wonder it's tossing and turning. The feeling tone affects and is affected by these processes. The intensity and direction of the feeling tone gives urgency and direction to your imagined action. And these imagined actions in turn give solidity to the mental models. They feel real, they feel solid. Your body seems to confirm it. Look, it's getting ready but it doesn't have to be this way. Much of what exhausts us is the creation of actions that we don't actually need to take and may never take. The aim of this week's practice is to develop awareness frame by frame of the link between feeling tone and this natural ebb and flow of the imagined actions that accompany thoughts and emotions and create new feeling tones with each unfolding moment of experience. And much of this goes on at the very fringes of consciousness. In every moment, the body and mind are monitoring small changes in the world, inside and outside. The mind is sorting out memories of what you've done and what you plan to do and the brain is simulating possible action which then affects the body. 
And although most of these imagined actions never need to pass the threshold of actual action, subtle changes in action preparation can sometimes be discerned in the body and mind as the body budget creates and then lets go of the resources it needs, like calling up troops for battle, then asking them to stand down. When your mind gets very lost in thought or emotion, it's because a lot of action is being planned and simulated. A lot of troops are being readied for battle. At such a time, it can help the troops to stand down by saying inwardly on an outbreath, no action needed right now. So let's try this new phrase for a moment, just as you are sitting here, just as you are, closing your eyes if that feels comfortable, and stepping inside as if you were going to start a breathing space, seeing the weather pattern in, in mind and body. And whatever you find as you step inside, saying inwardly, no action needed right now. No action needed at this moment. Seeing what you notice. And then we'll open the chat for a for a minute now and please feel free to just put anything you've noticed in the chat. Relax is freeing, calm, relief, release, helpful, calmer, getting tired, settling, releasing, muscles released, big smile on your face, that's that's I relaxed, peace, sense of release, slowing down, relief, calm. Disappearance, remarkable, lightness. The mind wants to find something, oh yeah, doesn't it? Pleasant, no need to do a thing, free, arguing back, <laughs> thank you. No more resisting. My mind is contradicting itself, there you go. Tears appearing, body softening, soothing, freedom body still feels the same, but there's a mental relaxation, just melting away, liberating, quiet, permission to just be lightness. I really need to do something. That's often the case. Absolutely. And it's important to notice that we're not saying that you can't do anything. It's just seeing if we can move away from all this flailing around that the action we don't need to take in order to release energy for the actions we do want to take. I don't need to analyze this now, says Penny. Freeing. Okay, thank you. So we'll close down the chat in 10 seconds. Time out, says Cal. Thank you. Smiling and warmth. Isn't that strange? Maybe we didn't even know that there was all this stuff going on in the background. And then we say no action needed. And it turns out there was, because we noticed the difference. So let's do our meditation now and see if we can just come to sit and start by grounding yourself for a few minutes, a few moments.
is noticing feet, contact with seat, hands maybe, sounds if you like an external anchor. or the breath, or some combination of these, your choice. Whatever anchor you choose, just receiving the sensations that are here for you. The lightness of attention. Receiving. Noticing the changing fluxing of sensations, if that's true for you. And then at a certain point, expanding your attention to the body as a whole. Sitting here. Noticing sensations from the crown of your head to the bottom of your feet and right out to the surface of the skin. Perhaps noticing contact with of the skin with clothes, uh, or the air moving on the skin, maybe, the face, hands. And sensations inside the body as well. Noticing what sensations are most prominent here. And their feeling tone. Do any of these sensations feel pleasant? And if they do, acknowledging this, saying it's okay to like this. And if they're unpleasant, Acknowledging this too, ah, contact, unpleasant. It's okay not to like this. And as we sit here with the body in the background, opening the awareness even further to take in sounds coming and going. And also thoughts and emotions that might be around. So this is rather like at the beginning of the breathing space where we're acknowledging everything that's passing through mind and body. 
what is sometimes called choiceless awareness. Just resting in awareness of the moment. And sometimes it might be possible to notice what's changing. Sometimes the thoughts come and go quickly. Sometimes sounds. Sometimes I leave an echo and sometimes the feeling tone changes. Sometimes it doesn't. And we can monitor the changing moment by moment feeling tone. Sometimes by just checking in regularly. How is this moment? What's the feeling tone of this moment? And one way of doing this is to just notice the breath at the end of the out breath. So you use the end of the out breath to check in. So just as the breath is just about to finish the out breath and there's a small gap between that and the next in breath, when you at that part of the cycle of the breath, just registering what is the feeling tone of this moment? There's no need to know why it is as it is. It might be a sound or a thought that's coming and going or a body sensation. Just opening on that out-breath, at the end of the out-breath and before the in-breath, what's the feeling tone now? Pleasant, unpleasant or neither? We're not focusing on the feeling tone of the breath itself. We're simply using the out-breath as our timer, as a cue to tune in and register the feeling tone of that moment. And if at any time the mind feels busy or restless or gets caught up, saying to yourself inwardly, no action needed right now. No action needed at this moment. Always remembering your anchors are there to come back to if you, if anything feels overwhelming or too difficult right now to do this particular practice. Coming back to your anchors at any time. No action needed right now.
Then for the last few moments of the practice, coming back to your anchor, to the feet or the contact with seat or the hands or sounds or the breath. And remembering that this sense of tuning into feeling tone of body and mind always available to you as you go about your day. And that saying no action needed right now is not a recipe for being passive. It just clears the mind a little so that in due course, if the time is right, then wise responses can come. Even if the wisest response is to do nothing. But you'll know. So I'm going to hand over to Meron now for our short question and answer session for this evening. Meron. Thank you so much, Mark. That was really so interesting. And we've had some wonderful questions come through. So somebody has asked, and this might be quite interesting. Um, you've been talking about this no action needed. So someone mentions they they have a problem with overweeding, sort of overworking, weeding till the wee hours, etc. that seems related to things that are pleasant. And instead of observing that they're pleasant, I get a grip on them and can't stop. What do I do? Okay, this is, this is a, an interesting issue, isn't it? Where the problem is that you start something and then don't know quite when to finish. And I guess one of the things that might be possible is to to do some of the practices we've been uh, practicing here, that's to check in regularly, maybe even set a timer and check in, how am I right now? And then making a choice, taking, taking enough breaks to be able to check in, maybe every quarter of an hour, maybe every half an hour, but then um, just deliberately stopping, putting things down, standing, stretching, and then making a new choice. And, noticing the feeling tone of that moment. What is it that I'm appreciating now? And am I still appreciating what I was appreciating five minutes or 10 minutes ago? So taking a fresh look, remembering that the feeling tone is always freshly made. So if you looked at it 10 minutes ago, there'll be something else now probably. So it's worth having another look. Thank you very much. And um, another question here is, what if I always have two parts in the body, pleasant and unpleasant? So I think it's quite usual to have a range of experiences in the body, um, more than two actually. I mean, every sense door has its own range of feeling tone and they can be operating at the same time. Then there's the thought sense door, as it were, the, the, the contact of thoughts with the 
with the mind that can be a mixture as well. And then there can be thoughts about the future or the past or the present. So there can be a lot of different sorts of uh, range of feeling tones. And it's very likely that some of those are going to be pleasant, co-occurring with some unpleasant ones. And, but the, the sense, if, if it gets confusing, is, is not to think too deeply about it or analyze it, but just to notice that's your present experience. And whatever is most prominent, then saying to yourself, it's okay, this is just how it is right now. It's okay for the unpleasant to be unpleasant, for the pleasant to be pleasant, and see if this helps you savor the pleasant moments and also deal more skillfully with the unpleasant moment. It's always an experiment, an exploration, and, and this exploration never ends. It's always got something more interesting to, you know, we always have something more interesting to discover. So good luck with that. And there's an, another question that's come in maybe that sort of follows from that, that is it possible to have an absence of either pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral sensations? Well, I think it's often that we don't know so that we're not registering at all. Um, but you're always going to have some, some, you're always going to be somewhere on the scale. The absence is often when nothing much seems to be going on. Everything's fairly neutral. Everything's fairly vanilla, you might say. Um, and that uh, sometimes tips into, depending on if you've been through a bad time and now everything's fairly neutral, that could be a great result for you and you're going to enjoy the neutrality of it. If everything's been very enjoyable and it's gone to neutral, you might get a bit uh, upset because you've just been enjoying something and now it's gone to neutral. So neutral is a curious, um, um, ambiguous situation in which it can tip either way. Um, or, of course, neutrality can sometimes encourage us to tune out completely and we get a bit restless, a bit bored because nothing much is happening. And so if we've been through an exciting time of been working too hard, you know the feeling of when you stop, you just wander around the house looking for something to do or something to eat or someone to talk to. Or, and that restlessness it, itself is, is quite unpleasant. So there's something which is neutral and has tipped into unpleasant. But there it is. It's all to be explored. It's rare, I think, for us to assume there's, there's nothing happening. There'll always be something, but it might be hard to detect. Thank you, Mark. And there's a very interesting one here. Does naming something inhibit the feeling tone? Hmm. Naming something is, um, it's not so much inhibiting the feeling tone as it prevents its downstream effects. So mostly with an unpleasant feeling tone, it's going to produce a sort of resistance, um, mostly, sometimes attachment, but mostly resistance, a sort of, I don't want this, let's get rid of it now. That's why saying it's okay not to like it can be so powerful um, because the not liking of a negative feeling tone drives the, all the next succession of, of models trying to get rid of it. So if you name it, then what can happen is the naming itself um, uh, distances you somewhat, changes the nature of the feeling tone so it doesn't have the effect. So it's, it's downstream consequences that it's going to affect. Similarly, for a pleasant, if you name a pleasant, then the downstream consequence of that in terms of attachment might 
uh, be affected as well. So what I'd invite you to do is to explore what happens when you name it. There's lots of evidence suggesting that naming emotions have this effect of, of, uh, of helping you to manage emotions. So people, for example, who name when they're spider phobics, who are faced with a spider, if they name their feeling of scared, it actually means that next week they actually go closer to the spider than those who didn't name it. And there's lots of research, a guy called Matthew Lieberman, who's done work on the effects of naming and how the brain changes when you name something in helping to stand back a little and manage it better. And I think that's what happens with feeling tones as well. It doesn't change the feeling tone, but it changes its downstream consequences. Thank you very much for that. And there's another question that's come in here as well, saying, sometimes I notice I'm rehearsing or reviewing something, and it's a very familiar activity in my mind. I find it's quite challenging to determine the feeling tone because I start to think, well, I know I shouldn't like doing this. Do you have any guidance in this situation? Hmm. Well, how interesting, isn't it? How complicated it becomes when we're thinking about thinking and, um, and all the different levels. So let's see if we can simplify it. If you just at that moment pause and say, what's the feeling tone now of that particular thought stream? Is it pleasant or unpleasant? And if the shoulds and coulds and stuff like that are prominent, it may well turn out to be unpleasant because you've activated a sort of a bit of a should, a bit of a guilt. And what's most prominent in that moment is the, is the guilt of the moment. Um, but then there might be anger about feeling guilty and embarrassment about feeling angry or whatever. So you can see these slices, almost like these photo bursts, which take on a life of their own often feeling very familiar um, because they've been there a long, you know, been a long time. Um, and they also fill in all the gaps for you so they can feel like they are the real thing. So one of the things is just to, to notice if you're thinking about something pleasant and it's just pleasant, then allow yourself to savor that. Notice when the guilt starts and notice the feeling tone then changes to that. And then there's a tendency to want to chase away the unpleasantness and just notice that as well. And see if you can do this frame by frame um, for a little while. You don't have to do this very long. It's something to work on in the laboratory of your practice, I think. Just deliberately recreate those conditions. You just notice how you are with it frame by frame and also the consequences of the slightly unpleasant feeling tone to the guilt and the slightly pleasant feeling tone to the to the review, and um, uh, and then see what's going on in your own mind and how you can work with this um, through just allowing it to unfold in its own time. Thank you very much, and I think we've still got time for just a couple more questions and. Um, Here's one that does naming lead to awareness or is it due to awareness that you can name? Mm. I think it's both, they help each other. So um, clearly if you're naming something very deliberately, ah, this is unpleasant or ah, this is fear. Um, it was a, a meditation teacher called Ajahn Semedo who came up with this way of saying, this is, anger, this is what anger is like, or this is 
embarrassment. This is embarrassment. This is what embarrassment is like, or this is joy. <laughs> you know, this is what joy is like. And so there's a sense of you already, when you're going through that procedure, in a sense, already aware, because here you are doing something deliberate and intentional. And remember, part of the definition of mindfulness is this intentionality. Rather than being dragged along, you're actually seeing the pull that's dragging you and saying, ah, yeah, what's dragging me now, or what's overwhelming now is this. So the naming is part of the awareness, but the naming then, as we've said about the changes in the brain that happens when you name, also helps you stand back a bit. Um, and the changes are sometimes, the psychological word for them would be decentering, a sort of standing back, and, and they then feed off each other. They get you into a more virtuous circle than the circle in which you're being pulled around by, uh, by your emotions. Thank you, Mark. And there's also a question here which may be really helpful for some people to hear is, does trauma affect this practice? Well, trauma can affect all practices, of course, depending on whether, um, when we're practicing, um, memories come up that are very toxic of the trauma. But even if memories don't come up, there's a caution um, that a, a mind that's had trauma can be highly sensitized to slightly unpleasant things coming up. And then there's a natural tendency to want to keep them at a distance and not want them to interfere, which is absolutely natural and expected. So what we're saying here is if that's true of you, to go very, very gently, just it's tiptoeing is fine. Just putting a toe in the water of these practices rather than thinking, ah, I noticed a difference there. So let's really go for them. Um, so what I would suggest is, is to uh, be very gentle with yourself, with all these practices um, and just notice, take it from moment to moment and from day to day. And, and rather than give yourself an instruction from on high that says, I must do this, or I must get on level pegging with this. Yeah. Thank you. And I think probably we've unfortunately run out of time for any more questions, but really thanks a lot for all those um, really insightful answers. And I think this is the moment just to ask if there's anything you'd like to suggest for home practice this week. So I think if you want to continue the feeling tone moment by moment, breath by breath that we started today, that would be really good. And, you know, just on the out breath, trying seeing whether it, that, that helps or, or not, it's up to you, just, just discuss it, um, just decide in your own mind, explore it and either do that or just do that in your, graft it into your normal practice. Um, and then just practice saying, no action needed right now. And you can do that in your practice and you can do it during the day as well. And um, so as you move through the activities of each day, noticing any moments where, where you become aware of the feeling tone, pleasant, unpleasant or neutral, see if there's any reaction to what's happening, a wish to hold on to the pleasant moment or get rid of an unpleasant moment, you know, saying it's, it's okay to like this, it's not okay to like, it's, it's okay not to like this. Um, and then adding, just trying to see what it said, what happens when you say, adding no action needed right now and see how that is for you. Just explore that and see if what came up in the chat 
carries on in your daily life as well. Remembering what you do is sort of standing down the troops, but uh, gearing up virtually every moment because of all the activity that goes on in our mind, even when we don't realize it. So, um, and that letting the troops stand down then clarifies things, relaxes things, so you can do more of this other noticing, the clear seeing of what's going on with you. That's what the homework is for this week. Thank you so much, Mark, for your teaching today. And thank you all of you for joining um, the session today. And just to say that, you know, Mark sees all the questions. So even if your question wasn't answered today, um, he will review them and they can often be fed into the, the remaining sessions. So we really hope that you've enjoyed the session today. And remember, if you'd like to hear the podcast, you can just go to YouTube and search for Mark Williams frame by frame. And next Wednesday, Mark will be here with us again for another session in this series. But now's a chance to say goodbye in the chat. So using whatever language you'd prefer, and you all know the routine, so that's lovely. Um, it's lovely to see those coming in. And thank you again for coming. Goodbye, and we look forward to seeing you next week. <laughs>